earlier. Well, we're in a series, we're calling it Open Letter because it's basically what the book of Galatians is. We call it a book, but in reality, it's a letter. It's a letter Paul wrote to the early churches of Galatia. And as we've been talking about through this series, it all comes down to one word. What is the one word that sums up the entire letter Paul wrote to the early churches of Galatia? Freedom, that's right. Freedom is what is encompassing this entire, this entire letter from Paul to these early Christians. And the way that he begins to describe it is he spends a lot of time, a lot of time talking about grace. And regarding grace, there was an issue in the early churches of Galatia. They understood grace for the most part. They believed in grace, but what they thought they had to do was work really hard to make sure that they then deserved and could earn grace. So the early churches of Galatia, they had the arrow pointing this way. They said, well, we believe in Jesus. We believe in what he's done, but too good to be true. There's no way grace can absolutely be free. So we have to work really hard, follow the law, do the right thing so that we then are deserving of grace. That's what the early churches were dealing with. And so Paul writes this letter and he says, no, you've got it quite a bit backwards. In reality, what he says is it's quite the opposite. He says grace is a free gift. It's the free gift of God through his son, Jesus, that then produces something from us. We don't work really hard so that we can earn God's grace. We work and we follow God because of who we've become, because of the gift that God has given us, and that gift is called grace. See, in the early churches of Galatia, they were in their minds being, or they, were, they thought this, and they were actually a group that was teaching this, wrongly teaching them, that what it meant to be a Christian was that you, you pleased for God. You tried to do all of this for God. You tried to do all of this so that you would then be deserving and earning of this. But in reality, our Christian walk, our our faith is just becoming who God has intended us to be. Because of the free gift of the free gift of grace, and that changes us. And it changes us to then become somebody new. We've talked about that before, that new life and that life change, but it all revolves around freedom. And this is the equation for freedom. It is not freeing trying to work really hard in hopes that you would then be deserving and earning grace. That is not a picture of freedom whatsoever. That's what Paul is trying to explain to the early churches here. He says, no, if you really want freedom, which is the freedom that Christ intended, the freedom is because of his grace, we become somebody new and it's freeing to become somebody new instead of trying to become who, or instead of trying to just work really hard and try to earn and deserve it. So if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna finish up here. We got this week and next week as we start to wrap up this letter Paul wrote. But the question I want us to begin asking is why? Why why freedom? Why grace? What am I supposed to do with it? If you have kids, you know that they love that question, that phrase, well, but why? Well, but why, Dad? And at some point, we just get to the, well, because I said so. Paul doesn't do that. He actually begins to unpack that for the Galatians and says, Yes, you have freedom, but here's why. Here's what we're actually supposed to do with it. What does it mean that if you believe in Jesus and you've accepted his free gift of grace, well, what does this mean for us? How do we actually live this out and walk this through? Look at what Paul writes here, Galatians chapter five. So head over to chapter five. Paul writes this in verse 13. It says, for you have been called to live in freedom. The whole letter is based around this idea of freedom. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. 
Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. And what's it say there? And what? In love. So right off the, the bat here, Paul's getting to a point in his letter. We're almost done walking through it. Really just one more chapter we're going to look at next week. What he's saying is, I've been saying the same thing over. Grace creates a new person in you. Because of grace, you're free. Because of grace, you have peace. Because of grace, you're a totally new person, a new creation, that is, he says. But what do we actually do with them? Now he's starting to help them understand what this looks like. Up until this point, it's been like very almost heady, very theological. And now he's going to say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make this very helpful, very practical, so you know what, what this kind of a free life actually looks like. And he says it here. He says, don't use your freedom this way, but use it this way. In other words, we're supposed to actually do something with our freedom. We don't just sit back and say, yay, I'm free. Thank you. Part of it, that's called worship. But he also said, now do something with it. He says, use your freedom, but don't use it this way. He says, don't use your freedom to satisfy the sinful nature. Because he was also dealing with some people that said, this is a free gift? Awesome. So you're telling me I can do whatever I want, whatever, whenever I want it, and then just ask for forgiveness later? That's not the way this exactly is intended to work. <laughs> so he says, yes, you are free, but don't use your freedom. Don't use or abuse that grace to just do whatever you want and then just fall back on, oh, but I'm saved by grace, right? Yes, we are saved by grace. But Paul's saying, but use something. If we're a new creation, then we look different. We talk differently. We think different. So don't use it to satisfy our sinful desires, our sinful nature. And he points to another side. Instead, rather, use it for this. Use it to serve one another. Serve one another to help one another and do so in love. Throughout this morning, I'm going to give you three lists. And if you're an avid note taker, I would suggest you turning your worship guide this way and making three different columns. If you don't take notes, just ignore what I just told you to do. So if you want to do it, three columns. I'm going to give you three different things that Paul begins to pull out. First one, he then focuses on what he said don't do. Don't use your freedom to satisfy the sinful nature. If you read on down, starting in verse 19, he then lists what that looks like. Again, he's painting a picture for these early churches, these early Christians, saying, don't use your freedom for this, use it for this. So he paints the picture. Uh, chapter five, still in chapter five, verse 19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. When you follow the sinful nature, when you use your freedom for satisfying those sinful desires, it's very clear, it's very evident. The results are clear. Here's what it looks like. And he just makes a long list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, he goes on and on and on. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and I love this, and every and other sins like these, like he missed one. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. And I'm gonna recap. We're gonna, Beth, go ahead and put those up on the screen. I've got all of those lists. That's what he came up with. He says, you can use your freedom for one of two things. One of two ways. You can use your freedom to satisfy the sinful desires of your heart, or you can use it to serve one another in love. He says, don't follow this way. And here's what it looks like. So he just lists a bunch of these sins. He says, I think I've covered it, but just in case, he adds that one little line. And other sins like this. <laughs> just, you get the picture, right? He paints a picture for all of these sins that we, we commit. Now, I need some participation. I need some help. Everybody take, take their finger and, and hold it up like this, okay? I'm gonna do it with you. I'm gonna stand over here. And I want you to point to the sin that you struggle with the most. Ready, go. You got it? 
Now, if you're sitting next to like a spouse or somebody else, don't try to look at their finger to figure out exactly which one it is, right? And we're all pointing, aren't we? Absolutely, that's the point. If you're having struggle pointing, then just at least point to the bottom. Other sins like these. We're all pointing. We, we all struggle with that. He's not saying you're never gonna struggle. He says, don't use or abuse your freedom to just do whatever you want. He says, that's not a healthy picture. So often, and I'll, I'll confess to this too, because of grace, sin gets watered down a little bit. We, we easily fall back on grace. And that's why it's, a, it's intended for that. So don't mishear me here. But Paul is also helping the Galatians and us understand, man, sin is devastating. It's destruction. The wages of sin is what? Death. And we all pointed saying, I'm doing things that are worthy of death. That's heavy. But we rationalize it. We make excuses. We say, well, mine's not as, I was pointing at this one over here. The person next to me, they were definitely pointing at one of these. That one's a lot worse. We compare. We make excuses. Well, I, I've done pretty good. It's not all the time. We rationalize. We say, well, it's just out of all of those, it was really just one. Percentage-wise, I'm doing really good. I'm still passing. Do you have a favorite food? You have a favorite food? Pizza is one of my favorite foods. And I want you to imagine your favorite food coming out in front of you. And this has happened to, happened to me before. Pizza comes out starving, excited for pizza. And so my supreme pizza with pineapples and no olives comes out and I look down and I find something in my pizza that I did not order to be on my pizza. This one was a hair. And oh yeah, you've been there though, right? Your sandwich comes out, your pizza comes out, your steak comes out and you're like, oh no. And so you, you tell the waiter, the waitress, excuse me, I, I hate to be that guy, but I'm totally gonna be that guy because this grosses me out. I need a new one because there's a hair. Now, what I have never had happen before is the waiter or waitress come over to me and says, where? And I point and it's like, oh. I've never had them look at me and say, it's just one tiny little hair. Just get over it. Just eat around it. Just don't pay attention to that one. Just don't notice that one. It's not like there's a bunch of them on there. We would be appalled if that waiter or wait, we would be asking for a manager and for corporate's phone number. We'd be tweeting about it and doing a FaceTime live video saying, you never go to this establishment again because they wouldn't take back my pizza because it had one tiny little hair in it. That's the way sin creeps into our life. Well, it's just one little one. I just don't pay attention to that part of my life over there. Let's just overlook that one. God, can't you see all the good that I'm doing? But it is truly, I mean, honestly, sin is, is disgusting and it's devastating, it's destructing, it's destructful. And, and like we said, the wages of sin are death. So Paul is saying, yes, we have grace, but don't use your grace to just do whatever you want. Does that make sense? Don't abuse your grace. Of course, we're gonna struggle. We stumble in the right direction. Thank God for grace. But do we abuse it or do we use it? So then he goes on and he says, that's one picture of using, in fact, more abusing grace. He goes on to say, but Here's really what we ought to do. And he's giving strict instructions, very, very vivid instructions. Remember what we read earlier? He says, don't use your freedom in this way, but instead use your freedom to serve one another. And what was it? In, in love. Use your freedom. So we have freedom, we're to use it. We're to do something with it. What do we do with it? We serve, we serve one another and we do so in love. And now he paints another picture. Here's column two. Here's the second set of lists that Paul gives us, starting in verse 22. Right after he goes through the list of all these sins, he says this, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces, and I would circle or write that word produces, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He lists them, love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Because of grace, free gift, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, things start happening in our life. Things start being, what was that word I told you to circle? Produced. And this is where the arrow can flip-flop, unfortunately. This way says grace through the Holy Spirit is producing good works in me, good deeds in me, what we call now the fruit of the Spirit. It's because of grace and the Holy Spirit producing it that this happens. The other way is near impossible saying, man, I'm gonna try really hard to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and go on and on. I'm gonna try really hard to do it on my own so that I can then earn, deserve, and get rewarded with grace. This is impossible. This is, it is, it is impossible to be patient without the Holy Spirit. That was a point to say amen at. It is impossible to be patient in any and every circumstance with all people without God actually producing it through his Holy Spirit because of his grace in us. It says the Holy Spirit produces. Because of the Holy Spirit, he grows this in us. It is his responsibility to create these things in us. Yes, we have a part, but he does that work inside of us. Paul says something very similar to another group or another church in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Paul's saying it works this way. God works in you to produce this. Because of his grace and his Holy Spirit, the freedom that we have, this is created in us. It's grown in us. It's developed in us instead of the other way around that says, okay, let's get out the to-do list. I've got to make sure I do this life right. Because if I don't, then I don't get that. I have to do this right. That's impossible to do, and it's exhausting, and it just does not work. I'll say, no, this is God's responsibility. That's why he gave us his spirit, to produce these good works in us, to produce this new creation, this new life, a changed life, the fruit of the spirit in each of us. Now, I want to go through, because this is important. Again, Paul's painting two very different pictures. I want you to see what this picture looks like. What does it look like to have the freedom that Paul's been talking about here and have it result in what we call the fruit of the Spirit, result in this new life with new kinds of works that's totally different than who we were before we had God's grace? So with each of these fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to give you a question. And if you don't want to write them down, take a picture of it. Great questions to begin to ask yourself Okay, do I or don't I have it yet? Now, let me tell you this. If we go through this list and you're like, oh, I definitely don't have that one yet, or I'm, I'm not very good at that one, let me encourage you. It's either one of two things. One, you don't have God's grace yet. And to get God's grace, it's very simple. You just say, yes, Jesus, I need you. And he moves in. It's that simple. It's that significant. So if you don't have God's grace because of Jesus living in your life yet, you've got to have that first or you're never going to get there. If you have this, then understand, what was that word again that we circled? Produces. It didn't say instantly get. You catch that? It says produces over time. He's comparing this to growing crops. It takes time and there's seasons and sometimes it's just not happening right now. So don't get totally discouraged. You're like, oh, start to worry. I don't have God's grace because I'm not very patient. Join the club. It's a work in progress. It's what he's producing in us. So the first one is love. Now, here's the question I would ask you. Do you show love or just actually just speak of love? 
Is it an action? Is it a decision? Or is it a feeling that I sometimes have and sometimes don't have? The love that Paul talks about here is the kind of love that's a decision. It's the kind of love that's an action. That's a choice. And the difficult part of that is loving our enemies. It's loving those that don't show love to us. It's loving those that we don't really want to love. We wouldn't choose to love, but we do anyway. The only way that we can love like that is first because we have been given that kind of love. And you're gonna notice that's the way this works. Every one of these fruit of the spirit, you're gonna see it was presented to us first, and then we have the opportunity to show that kind of, in this case, love to other people. So do you have the fruit of the spirit? Do you have love? Do you speak of love or do you actually show love? Love, joy. Do my circumstances determine my joy? Do my circumstances actually determine my joy? In other words, do I lose joy when everything else in the world doesn't go well? Does this get messed up? Does my freedom get hindered when the rest of the world falls apart? And we can look around the world. You can watch the news. You can read your, your news on, on your phone and you recognize there's not a whole lot to always be joyful about in our world. Of course, because it's a broken world. That's part of living in this, in this life and in this world here. Until Jesus comes back, there's gonna be problems. But the fruit of the Spirit says, well, it's joy. And that's because this joy is not based on everything else. This joy is based on what? Grace. Grace. Grace, another word for grace is gift. And if you look at the original language, grace and gift are almost the same word there. And so what Paul is saying is, you can have joy in the gift you've already been given. You can have joy not because everything's going well. You can have joy because of this one fact. I have grace and it's been given to me free of charge, no strings attached. If you have nothing else in your life to be joyful about, that's something to be extremely joyful about. So does circumstances, does situations, does environments steal your joy or can you still have joy in the midst of any and all circumstances? Love, joy. What's the third one? Peace. Peace. The question is, do I trust that God is in control no matter what? The opposite of peace, let me paint that picture for you. The opposite of peace is anxiety, doubt, worrisome, troublesome. That's not the kind of life that God's grace through his Holy Spirit is, is developing and producing and creating in us. No, he's creating peace in us. And he showed, he showed us that kind of peace. He says, I'm in control, always. Even when things don't look like they're going well, I've got it covered. I have a plan. I'll figure it out. I'm gonna work it out with you in mind. Do we have love? Do we have joy? Do we have peace? And again, it's not based on what we do and everything else. It's always based on the grace that he has already given us. Same with me. Love, joy, peace, patience. This one's my favorite. If I had a Sharpie, this would be the one that I would cross out of the New Testament. Let's just, you know what, God, I, you can do all these things in me. This one might be out of your hands. Patience, it's difficult. It's very hard. And the reason it's very hard is because we try to flip the arrow. We try to say, okay, I've got to be patient with these people. I've got to be patient with my kids. I've got to be patient with work. I've got to be, and we put it on ourselves to be patient. And what, what Paul's saying is, no, we're patient because he's already shown us that kind of patience. Here's the question. Do I have a short fuse with the irritating and the discouraging? <laughs> You have to have that last part because we can be patient with other patient people. We can be patient with nice people. It's the irritating, it's the discouraging, it's the mean, it's the annoying, it's the obnoxious. It's those people that we have a very difficult time being patient with. But hear this, he was first patient with us. And because of his grace, 
we have the opportunity to show that kind of patience to other people. That word patience, it literally means long fuse. <laughs> so we need to extend that fuse to the point where we just can't hold it in anymore. We've, we've got to have a, a long fuse that says, you know, I'm going I'm to be patient with people. Scripture also talks about bearing with one another. Sometimes you just have to grind through it. That's what he's saying here is be patient with one another, slow to anger, and take some time to breathe and to be patient, be loving, be peaceful, so to speak, with those other people. All right, let's say them again. My goal is to get you to memorize these by the end of this morning. Kindness, good. Kindness, this is a hard one. It seems very general. It seems just very, well, just be nice. It does not mean nice. The question is, do I look for and respond to the needs of people around me? Look for and respond. Kindness says I'm constantly looking for, for someone's needs that are not being met. Because once again, that's what grace did for us. It met a need that we could not meet on our own. So now that we have that working in us, we have the opportunity to show that to other people. Look around, be paying attention. The hardest part of kindness is paying attention. It's noticing, notice the needs. And I tell you, if you start noticing the needs of people around you, your heart will break for them and you will then begin to meet those needs on whatever level you are able and capable of. But look around, are you paying attention to the needs of the people around you and are you responding to them? Sometimes we, we do notice and it's just, I don't have time for it, I'm too busy. And I get all of that but we're not trying to do this on our own. We fall back on, well, he did it for us. He's given us grace. So one of the fruit of the spirit that's being produced and developed and grown and created in us is that of kindness. All right, let's go through them again. Goodness, excellent. Goodness and kindness, they sound similar, but like I said, kindness is looking around, paying attention to the needs of people around you and responding appropriately to them. Goodness is about, you ready for this? I'm gonna shock you, doing good. It's, it's more of that, that morality or the, the moral side of things. It is being virtuous. It's, it's doing good. It's adding value. The question would be, do I initiate good things for people? Don't forget this last part. Even though they may not deserve it. Am I initiating good things? Am I, it's not just helping. It's how we think. It's how we talk. And of course, it's how we act. Are we just being Good. You all know these people that just have goodness just beaming out of them all the time. They frustrate you because you don't see how they could just be that good all the time. Doesn't mean they are good all the time. What it means is they do good for others. And that's exactly what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. He has done good for us. Even though we did not deserve it, he initiated. In other words, he didn't even ask. He knew what we needed. He knew what would be good for us, so we have that opportunity as well. Instead of just waiting for somebody to ask, are you looking for ways to do good? Do you initiate good things for other people? Do you add value to other people's life? A great question. If you're married, this is a great one to talk through as a couple. And the question is simply, do I add value to your life? At some point, I'm telling you couples, you're going to get to a point in your marriage where you're just doing marriage. We're just living under the same roof. I call it the roommate syndrome. <laughs> you get to a point where you just feel like you're roommates. This one will pull you out of being roommates because you start to ask, do I add value to you? How can I initiate just good things for you? Not because it's deserving. It's just because it is good for you. Goodness. All right, go through them again. Ready? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness. I always want to put gentleness in here, but faithfulness technically is the right order. If you get them out of order, as long as you know them, I'm happy. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is, do people trust me to do what I say I will do? Is my yes, yes, and is my no, no? Faithfulness, so I don't need to preach on this. God showed his faithfulness to us because of his grace. What's getting produced in us is the very same thing, faithfulness. When you say you'll do something, when you say you'll be there, are you? Now, do broken promises happen? Of course. This is not a never break your promise. This is in your heart of hearts. Are you doing exactly what you said you would do? Not just to other people, but in your relationship with God. Are you doing what you said you would do? All right, let's go through them again. We're going fast. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness. This does not mean weak. This is restraint. This is almost meekness, which again is very different than weak. And in other words, the question is, am I humble and considerate of the thoughts, feelings, opinions, and even experiences, past experiences of other people? Can you empathize? Can you sympathize? Do you think and talk and act with other people in mind? With other people in mind. I have some great people in my life that they just tell me how it is. And we have that kind of a relationship where they have permission to just tell me the way it is because of the relationship we have. However, that kind, of, uh, that kind of an attitude doesn't work well with people you don't know very well. But we hear that some, well, I'm just the kind of person that just tells you straight, I say it the way it is. I'm not saying lie to other people. What I'm saying is, do you have a gentleness about you when you tell the truth? Scripture talks about speaking the truth in love, being full of grace and truth. Sometimes we just love to speak the truth and we forget about the grace and the love part. Gentleness and am I humble? And am I thinking of other people? Specifically, am I thinking of and being considerate to their past experiences? I don't know their whole story. We don't make assumptions. Instead of gentleness, tries to seek out and ask a lot of questions of the other person. You know, what's going on? How can I help? You start to see some of these tie in together. Am I humble and considerate of the thoughts, feelings, and opinions and experiences of other people? Like I said, it's not weak. It shows restraint and how we interact with one another. All right, then we got the last one. Let's go through them. See if we got all nine. Ready? Love, joy, peace. The murmurs are mostly right. You're doing really well. Yes, self-control. Memorize these. Get, it's, it's nine of them. We can do that. Memorize these nine. The last one is self-control. And here's how I would encourage you to think through this one is do I say yes and no to the things I need to say yes and no to? Do I say yes and no to the things I need to say yes and no to? If you think through those two lists, Paul paints a great picture. Here's your sinful desires. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. If one of these fruit of the Spirit is self-control, then there's a lot of things on this sin list that I need to say no to. That takes self-control. We naturally will bend in that direction. We don't have to be taught to sin. It's part of our nature. It requires self-control to say no and to say yes somewhere else. Do you say yes and no what you need to say yes and no to? Let me add this other like sub-question is because we, we might have self-control in a lot of areas. Let me ask, do you have self-control with and then fill in a person's name? <laughs> do I have self-control with this person? Do I have self-control in this environment? Do I have self-control at work? Do I have self-control on 400? Maybe don't write that one. That one's too convicting. Do I have self-control with the construction at 400? Don't write that one either. Do I have, <laughs> start filling in some blanks. Do I still have self-control in these situations, in these environments, with these people? It'll start to give you a good picture of what we 
what we have, what, what God through his Holy Spirit has produced, but it also gives a great picture on what he's currently developing, what he's currently producing. Those are the two, two lists that Paul gives here to the early churches of Galatia. He says, use your freedom, not for the sinful desires. We have them. Don't use it for that though. Instead, notice what I'm creating in you and use your freedom for this. Use your freedom to grow and to develop in what he calls the fruit of the spirit. Now, what's cool about this is again, notice the way the arrow's pointing. It's not the other way around. This says, I'm gonna try really hard to, to get this in me so that I'm deserving. But what Paul is saying and what's true throughout scripture is, we're just becoming who Jesus intended us to be. Every one of those traits we just went through, every single one of them are traits of Jesus. Who he is, he's developing in us. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, is to create in us the heart of God. And it takes work and it takes time, and I'll be the first to tell you, it is not a, an easy process, and it most certainly can and will be at times a painful process. But because of his grace, he is He's helping us become more like him. It's not about what we do for God. It's how to become more like him. That's what he is doing in us. But understand, just like we said earlier, that key word there is produce. The Holy Spirit produces this. Fruit doesn't happen without growth. Fruit has to have growth. Every single one of these that we went through is, is something developing in us. It's something growing in us. So as we went through that list and you started to ask those questions, you're like, I definitely don't have that one. Great. You know an area that God is beginning to work on you and to work in you. There has to be growth. That's the only way that it's produced. In difficult times, in difficult situations, with difficult people, we start to become more and more like Jesus. Not by our own effort. It didn't say, but Brian produces these in me. No, it's the Holy Spirit's producing love, joy, peace, and so on and so forth. But you have to have growth. You have to be willing to grow through those situations and through those environments. Now, here's the other thing that happens. As this starts to become more and more of who we are now, other people notice. Other people, of course, notice. You start to notice people that are more joyful than you. You start to notice people that have a whole lot more patience and peace than you. You start to notice people that have an unbelievable amount of self-control. It's noticeable. Fruit is noticeable, but it's not just for us. In fact, the fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit in us is not just for our benefit, it's for the benefit of others. The life change that we experience because of God's grace, of course, changes our life, but it also is part of the life change of other people. Understand that. Our life change helps the life change of other people. When people see this in us, they're like, how is that possible? Well, let me tell you, it's only because of God's grace through his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit working in and through me. We're changed to help the life change of others. We're changed for, for the life change of other people. Who Jesus is, is starting to be developed in us. We become a great billboard and a great picture of who Jesus is. I know it's a glimpse. And it's not perfect, but it's a great picture of who Jesus is. And we get to walk around and show this is who Jesus is. You wanna know the character of God? It's the fruit of the spirit. It's the character that he is producing in each and every one of us but it has to be grown. It has to be developed. Let me read you the very last part and then I'm gonna wrap up here. The very last part, Paul gives, you've got freedom, so use it, but don't abuse it. Don't use it for the sinful nature, rather use it to have this produced in you, the fruit of the spirit. And then he ends it with this 
these two verses, verse 24 and 25, says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. In other words, we've taken that sin and we've gotten rid of it. We have asked for our pizza with the hair to completely go back to the kitchen and get something new. That's what we're doing here. Look at verse 25. You'll never eat pizza the same. You'll think of the hair and then you'll also think of the fruit of the spirit, which is a win. Verse 25. Here's what he says lastly. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In every part of our lives. In other words, what he's producing in us is to be in every part of our life. Now that's a lot of areas of our life to think through. So here's the last list. I I told you I was gonna give you three lists. Here's the last one. I'm gonna go through them quick. You might just wanna take a picture. I've shared this before. It's an easier way to categorize all the areas of your life. I call them the 10 major relationships. And I'm gonna put them up on the screen. Here they are. God, self, if you're married, it's marriage or it'd be like a romantic relationship, you and one other person. Marriage, family, friends, church, work, community, finances, and enemies. We don't think of finances as a relationship. It most certainly is a relationship, most certainly. So what I would encourage you to do is start looking at the fruit of the spirit list. Look at your 10 major relationships list. Do you have the fruit of the spirit in your relationship with God? Do you have all nine of the fruit? We don't get to pick these, by the way. This isn't like, I'll take three out of the nine. No. Do I have have the fruit of the Spirit in my marriage? Is fruit of the Spirit evident in my family, with my kids, with my extended family, with my in-laws? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident? Is it produced with my friends and at work and in community at church? Because you'll notice nowhere in this, this, the fruit of the Spirit are, are things that we might expect, especially when it comes to spirituality issues and, and thinking of church. You don't see volunteering. You don't see necessarily serving. You don't see giving. You don't see inviting. But what happens is the more we become like Jesus, the more we have these byproducts that come from them. We serve not because, well, it's a fruit of the Spirit. We serve because, well, we see the needs around us. We invite not because it's a fruit of the Spirit. We invite because... I want every single person I come in contact with to know, to know who I'm becoming like. That's who we're meant to be, is to be more like Jesus and his spirit helps us get there. This week, let me give you a big homework assignment. First of all, you've got to know the fruit of the spirit. You've got to know the nine. It's hard to know what God is doing in you if you don't know what to look for. Memorize them. Put them on your mirror, figure out a way, memorize the nine. Order's not important. Know the nine. And then start to go through those 10 relationships and just start to do an an honest evaluation of, okay, God, where do you still have some work to do in me? That's a good place to be. This isn't pass or fail. We already have grace. It's a place of saying, okay, what are you still doing in me? And we get to lean in. Remember, it takes some work. There's some growth areas. Know what they are. So you can continue to be who Jesus intended you to be. Let me leave you with one last passage. In Titus chapter two, verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We looked at that. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And listen to this last part. He gave his life to what? What's that word? free. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people. That's this part here. Last section, totally committed to doing good deeds. 
That's what our life can look like. A life of following him, a life based on his grace. Right now, church, I'm telling you, this does not work. Trying to do this does not work. But if we can embrace this, grace producing this in us, it's freeing and it's amazing to see what God will do with your life as we become more like him. That's how great our God is. A great God says this is how it works. A God not so great says you've got to earn it. You've got to deserve it. Let me see, let me see. Let me see you try to do it without me. And God says, no, I'm going to take care of you. The greatness of God is in this simple equation, knowing that he did all the work. All we have to do is say, I'm willing. Move in and change me. There's a lot that has to get changed in here, God. You've got your work cut out for you. For you. But he says, I, I want to. Because of his grace, we have freedom. Because of that freedom, the Holy Spirit has the freedom to change us to be more like him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for how great you truly are, for the greatness of your grace, for the greatness of the change that you create in each and every one of us. I pray that we would not go a single day without recognizing the greatness of you and the greatness of your grace. Thank you for the freedom that we have because of your son, Jesus. And may we continue to allow you to work in us. In your name, amen.